Today's C.S. Lewis Daily continues to come from C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And this brings me to the other side of glory. Glory is brightness, splendor, luminosity. We are to shine as the sun. We are to be given the morning star. I think I begin to see what it means. In one way, of course, God has given us the morning star already. You can go and enjoy the gift on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. What more, you may ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more something the books on aesthetics take little notice of. But the poets and mythologies know all about it. We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, and to become part of it. That is why we have peopled air and earth and water with gods and goddesses and nymphs and elves, that, though we cannot, in the yet those that though we cannot, excuse me, yet these projections can enjoy in themselves that beauty, grace, and power of which nature is the image. That is why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't. Or not yet. For if we take the imagery of scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves in the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. When human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience. Sorry, I said that wrong. When human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience, Then they will put on its glory, or rather, that greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch. Few must not think that I am putting forward any heathen fancy of being absorbed into nature. Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is the symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature, beyond her, into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. And in there, in beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life. At present, if we are reborn in Christ, the spirit in us lives directly on God. But the mind, and still more, the body receives life from him at a thousand removes, through our ancestors, through our food, through the elements. The faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the world's or what we now call physical pleasures, and even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. What would it be to taste at the fountainhead that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. As St. Augustine said, the rapture of the saved soul will flow over into the glorified body. In the light of our present specialized and depraved appetites, We cannot imagine this torrens voluptatis, and I warn everyone most seriously not to try. But it must be mentioned to drive out thoughts even more misleading, thoughts that what is saved is a mere ghost, or that the risen body lives in numb insensibility. 
The body was made for the Lord, and these dismal fancies are wide of the mark. Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. A cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of the world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. The following hymn is, of course, the essential point. That being so, it may be asked what practical use there is in the speculations which I have been indulging. I can think of at least one such use. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potentially glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken." It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you say it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love, with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinners. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ vere latitat, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself, is truly hidden. <laughs> 